Because of his long battle with hairy cell leukemia, he treats his pediatric pulmonary patients differently. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jeffrey Kurland. Dr. Kurland is Professor of Pediatrics at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh and is a member of the Division of Pediatric Pulmonology Medicine, Allergy, and Immunology. He is also the author of My Own Medicine, A Doctor's Life as a Patient. Dr. Curlin, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Susan. Nice to be here. How long have you worked with children with cystic fibrosis? If I count my residency, during which I, I took care of a lot of them, it's been since 1973 when I graduated from medical school. So people can do the math and they'll realize that I'm a fairly old guy. But my real specific devotion to pediatric lung disease, specifically pediatric lung disease, uh, started with my fellowship in 1976. What led to your passion for this work? The patients. Uh, That's an easy one to answer. I mean, back in the 1970s, when I first encountered cystic fibrosis as a medical student, a resident, uh, and then a fellow, this was a, um, still is, but it was an especially terrible disease. It's a at the time, uh, in the 1970s, we didn't, we didn't have the gene for cystic fibrosis. We knew it was a genetic disease. We didn't have the gene. We didn't know the basic defect that led to the manifestations of this disease. And our patients at that time had a median survival. In other words, 50% died by the age of around 15 or 16. So it was, it was just it was a ghastly disease. I watched um, many, many children with cystic fibrosis die and I watched their parents with them. I watched them try and stave off this disease as best they could. And what impressed me was the uh, the strength um, and that that these children had, and their their the strength that their parents showed and demonstrated in the face of this inexorable disease for which we had no cure, and we had only at the time some basic treatments. And what's interesting to me, or what was interesting to me, is how despite their lot that these children were faced with, uh, they still maintained a a sense of humor. Uh, They had strong family ties. The parents were devoted to their kids for the most part, and they worked hard as they could to help them through this. It was and it remains a really tough disease. What is the prognosis for a child born with cystic fibrosis today? The median survival now, as published by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, puts the median survival now at a little bit over 35 years. Now, that compares with about 15 or 16 years in the early 70s, and and we should all be patting ourselves on the back, except we're not, because it's still not 65 or 68 the way it should be, like the rest of us. We have learned a lot about the illness, and, and that's one of the great things, I think, about being in, in my field, in pediatric pulmonology. I mean, we've learned so much about this disease. We've learned so much about pediatric asthma. My, the other thing I take care of, we're, we've gotten so much better at taking care of things like bronchopulmonary dysplasia. I mean, it's the field that I'm in, I'm, I feel, I count myself very, very fortunate to be in an area that is growing as fast as it's growing and has, uh, I have the very good fortune of working in one of what I think is one of the better hospitals in the country for kids uh, with some of the really, really great uh, physicians in this area. Not just here locally, but I mean around the country. My colleagues around the country uh, working 
to battle this disease and other pediatric lung diseases are, you know, they're, they're my heroes. I mean, some of my heroes are, are long-distance runners, but when it comes to the money and when it comes really right down to it, the, the heroes are, for me are, are my colleagues and my patients because my patients wind up teaching me at least as much as I learn anywhere else. They, they teach me about um, the dignity of life. They teach me about strength. They teach me about courage um, more than you can get in most cases. You've written a book about your experience as a patient with hairy cell leukemia called My Own Medicine, A Doctor's Life as a Patient. How do you treat your patients differently because of your illness? I can tell them things that I couldn't tell them before I had my illness. For example, I do a lot of pediatric bronchoscopies. I had my first bronchoscopy uh, when I was sick with leukemia. I can now tell my patients, uh, you know, I know what this feels like. I know how it's done, and uh, I'm going to make sure that everything goes fine for you, and here's how I'm going to, you know, do that. So that I I have a bit more, I guess the the, the current term is I have street cred. (laughs) I have credibility uh, because I've gone through some of these things. We get called to the uh, pediatric oncology unit to help with patients who are immunosuppressed and have new pulmonary findings, and they want us to maybe do a bronchoscopy or give them the, the physicians uh, some idea of, what the, of how to treat these patients. And I can tell the family and the, and the patient, you know, that, you know, I had leukemia. I had something not identical to, but similar. So I, I can, and, and, I, and during my illness, I was extremely ill for part of the time. It was a period when I was convinced I was probably going to die. So I can tell them and, and relate that way. Do I treat them any differently as outpatients? The answer is I try not to make them wait as long in, cl- in waiting in the clinic uh, because I, have, I, I know what that's like, uh, although I'm not too successful at it because our clinics are very busy and very crowded, unfortunately. Uh, we're getting better, though. In your book, you describe several procedures you experienced and how painful they were. What do you do differently with your pediatric patients because of what you went through? I think as a, as a pediatric hospital and pediatricians in general in the past were not uh, very, well, we didn't take pain in children very seriously. And I think over the years, we as a, as a group have learned uh, that we really need to take it more seriously. And one of the things uh, this pediatric hospital and I think most pediatric hospitals do is uh, utilize medications to treat pain more effectively and to monitor pain in our patients much more effectively. As a matter of fact, in our nursing forms, uh, daily nursing forms, or, or perhaps uh, per shift, uh, they actually do a pain assessment scale on our patients. So we make sure to the best of our ability that pain issues are handled uh, and handled appropriately and, and in a timely fashion, as we all like to say in medicine. Uh, and I have a better appreciation for that. I had to have a sternotomy because I had a chest mass. When my diagnosis was revealed, it was revealed through a chest mass that then led to a to blood counts, which then led to a bone marrow. But it was my chest mass that they couldn't figure out. So I, I first had a splenectomy, and then I had to have my chest cracked six weeks later to take out what turned out to be a benign thymic cyst. It had nothing to do with my leukemia, but it was all serendipitous that that was discovered, and then my leukemia was discovered. But um, I, I can now tell people what, that I, I can relate to what a sternotomy feels like, um, and it's not a lot of fun. But I can also then say it's not a lot of fun, but look at me, I got through it, and so will you.
If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Jeffrey Kurland, discussing how because of his battle with hairy cell leukemia, he treats his pediatric pulmonary patients differently. Dr. Kurland, how do you interact with your pediatric patients? What's your style? My style. My objective is to deal with the patient uh, initially. As long as they're over the age of three, when I walk into the clinic room, uh, I go first to the patient um, and usually introduce myself if it's a new patient and then ask who the other people in the room are so that the patient can introduce me to his mommy and daddy. For my patients, I ask that they bring jokes to clinic and I write down the good ones uh, with with the child's name, no less. And I trade jokes with my patients. That's a really important part of my practice with them because I want them to be a part of the process of running the clinic. So most of my patients, when they come to clinic, if they're old enough, the first thing they say after I walk in the room is that they do or don't have a good joke for me. And uh, then they proceed to tell me the joke. And I'll, if I, and, and I'll tell you, if they, they ask me a riddle and I know the answer, I actually tell it to them so they, and tell them, well, you kind of come up with something better next time. But the reason I do that, to be honest, uh, I learned a long time ago. And it, it was taught to me by, actually by one of my patients who came to clinic. He was a kid with asthma. And he taught me what turned out to be the first joke that was told to me by a patient that I remembered. You want to know what the joke was? Yes. This is a five-year-old, a five-year-old boy. Why did the turtle cross the road? I don't know. To get to the shell station. <laughs> now, I said to myself, now that is a pretty good joke. Now, he probably didn't think of the joke. He's five years old, but he remembered it. And so what he did by doing that is he directed what happened in the clinic first. So most of my patients, when they're coming to see me in clinic, they are much more worried about whether they have a good joke or not than whether I'm going to hospitalize them, do blood work, you know, et cetera, et cetera. What that does is it takes their mind a little bit off a of clinic. Plus, it gives them a task. It gives them control. Disease does not allow you to have control. But if I give them, I give patients an assignment. The assignment is to make me laugh. And if they can do that, they have control in the clinic. It's not all in my hands. Some of it is in their hands. And I think that that is what I have learned uh, is one of the more important lessons in medicine is that the patient has to be a participant in their medical care. And for kids, they can't make medical decisions and you wouldn't ask them to, but they certainly can help guide the tenor, that's, you know, the, the sound, the feeling that goes on in that room. And if part of that feeling in the room is that, you know, this guy is not here to uh, just tell me bad news. I can make this guy laugh. Uh, life can't be that bad. And, and, and that's really true. And, and providing the opportunity for a patient to have some control over something that is almost uncontrollable uh, is very, very empowering to them. And it also frees me, uh, allows me to do my work in a little bit more benign a way. You know, I mean, if I can take a minute to laugh, it's not going to hurt me. And if it makes the patient feel better, even if I have to give them news that they don't want to hear, it still, it sort of softens that blow just a little bit. And I think the importance of that can't be overestimated. Do you have another favorite joke that was given I have a million to you of them. from your children? Well, I have a, I have a million of them. Uh, I'll take one or like, two. Uh, okay. Well, you have a subject. <laughs> How about, uh, well, I told you the invisible man joke uh, once upon a time about the invisible man who was feeling sick, so he went to the doctor's office, and the doctor said he was sorry he couldn't see him. But um, 
but there's a, but there are a whole bunch of uh, of jokes like wha, wha, how the rubber chicken crossed the highway. How he, he had a he had a stretch limo. It's a rubber chicken joke, or why the skeleton didn't cross the road, didn't have the guts, didn't have the heart, didn't have the nerve. But you know, you keep going, but a boom. But uh, the other thing I do is I encourage the patients not to call me Dr. Curland. Very few of the patients call me Dr. Curland. Uh, I when I when somebody calls me Dr. Curland, I turn around to see if my brother's there. He's an orthopedist or in the old days, if my father was there because he was a physician, but I prefer to be called Doctor K um, because that's what most most both families uh, call me Doctor K and patients call me Doctor K. Uh, one of my patients named me K Dog. She sent me emails and referred to me as K Dog, and that kind of stuck for a while. Some of my fellows still refer to me as K Dog, so uh, that's just the way it is, which is fine with me. I want to thank Dr. Jeffrey Curland, who has been our guest discussing his practice as a pediatric pulmonologist. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.